John chapter 17. The last two times that, that I've uh, preached here, this past Wednesday night and then the Sunday night previous, before that, um, I've, I've dealt with the subject of holiness. And it's not always a popular subject, but it's a Bible subject. And um, first we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. And then chapter 7, verse 1, where he says, Having therefore these promises, you know, that we ought to, um, promises of his fellowship and companionship, and um, they ought to continue to, to grow in that subject of holiness. And last Wednesday night, and by the way, if you didn't uh, catch that sermon, you weren't here, you didn't look at it online, I would encourage you to do so because it's just about the command Peter gave, be holy for I'm holy, and trying to look at it from a practical point of view. So tonight I want to deal with that same subject. So I find sometimes, just my own personal um, journey, I find sometimes it's good to park on a particular subject for a few lessons, a few sermons, let it kind of soak into my mind and soak into my heart, and uh, so that's the purpose for this. So if you're able to stand, would you stand with us for the reading of the scripture, John chapter 17, and we're going to kind of get right into the middle of this chapter and really this context, but verse 13 says, and now come I to thee. Jesus is praying He's speaking to his heavenly father and he, he says, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, this is before he went to the cross, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I find it interesting, and I'm not going to say anything more than this, but just this statement. I find it very interesting that Jesus prayed that we would have joy in our life. Jesus didn't pray that we'd always be blue. He prayed that we'd have joy. So it matters to him. That they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them. Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word again tonight. Lord, thank you for the joy of being here and fellowshipping together and singing these wonderful songs together and hearing the choir sing about the grace of God and these children singing about the work you've given us all to do. And, and Lord, we just thank you for these things tonight. God, please help us tonight as we Look into your word, open our eyes, help us have open minds, open hearts. Lord, speak to us. I pray if there's one here tonight that's been struggling maybe about their eternal soul, that tonight you'd continue to deal with them, that they might, Lord, be convicted 
to repent and turn to Christ and trust Christ. For all of us, though, Lord, help us tonight to grow in grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there are several things about holiness, about sanctification, about separation that are found in this passage. But one thing I just want to begin with stating, and that is this. Um, our personal holiness is of utmost importance to Jesus. He prayed about it. You know, this, this is a wonderful passage here. And uh, to me, the setting is just riveting to me. Jesus is praying with his disciples just before he goes into Gethsemane to sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in agonizing over drinking the bitter cup of sin. Just before that, he prays. John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. John 14, he gives us a great passage, you know, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. John 15, we have that passage where he says, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. My father is the husbandman. He talks about bearing fruit. John 16, he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And John, here we have him in John chapter 19 praying. So the last thing he did before he went to Calvary was he prayed. Well, he went to Gethsemane and there he prayed again, of course. So this is a very sacred place, a very sacred moment. Jesus is talking to his Father. And who is he praying for? You'll notice many pronouns here in this passage. Uh, it says in verse 13, you know, he says about having joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them thy word, and uh, the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world. I pray you not take them out of the world. Now, who is he praying for? Well, if you look in, uh, down in verse 20, he says, Neither pray I for these alone. I'm not just praying, Father, for these assembled disciples, apostles. But I pray, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. Though everyone that will believe on him after the word, the preaching of the apostles, he's praying them for the, he's prayed this for you. That's a very interesting thought, isn't it? Jesus was praying for me right here in this very moment. So it makes this just a wonderful passage of scripture. And in this prayer, sometimes I preach a message that takes into many of the things Jesus prayed for. We're going to focus on one of those things tonight. But there are a lot of different aspects of his will for us that he prayed for. But in verse 15, look at verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, he says, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. He prayed that we would be in the world, but the world would not be in us. He prayed that we would live holy lives. We are not, look in verse 16, they are not of the world. Young person, we are not of the world. We were of the world before we got saved. But now we're of a different world. And so he, he makes this very clear. They are not of the world. And he prayed that we would be holy. He said in verse 17, sanctify them, set them apart. So similar to the word holy, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. He prayed that we would live separated lives. Now, all of us are going to be tempted uh, to sin. All of us are going to be lured 
by things of this world. But keep this in mind. Jesus actually prayed for you that you would not be worldly. If I were to choose to live a worldly life, I will be choosing something that is contradictory to what Jesus prayed for. And if you and I are striving by the grace of God to live holy lives, we are actually living out an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed. He prayed that we would live holy lives. So it's very important to Jesus. One thing that stands out in this passage that I believe is so important to understand, you know, what holiness is and pursuing holiness is the emphasis in this passage on the Word of God. Look in verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world. And then he says in verse 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Sanctify them not through their pride, or don't sanctify them through their determination. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then if you look in verse 19, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So we see this great emphasis on the truth. This great emphasis on being separated because of the truth. And we want to emphasize that tonight. It's just very simply put, it's, it's God's word and the personal application of God's word that separates us. You know, it's a process. It's a lifelong process, but it's, but it's influenced by the word of God. God's word shapes our lives. Mark this place, if you would, in John chapter 17. And go with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. That phone going off reminded me that I hadn't checked my phone. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 4. But he answered and said, Jesus answered and said, he is speaking, he's being tempted by the devil, and the devil's enticing him to command stones to be made bread. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. But Jesus answered and said, it is written, a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That may be my favorite verse in all the Bible, at least today. <laughs> man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Man shall not live by bread alone. We understand that you have to have food to live. Maybe not as much food as we eat, but we have to have food to live. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. God intends for us to live by the word of God. The truths, the truths of God's word will always lead us in paths of righteousness. Now, if we neglect God's word, we're not going to have that privilege, that opportunity. Just owning a Bible will not do that. Just reading the Bible will not do that. It's receiving and believing and acting on the Word of God that changes our lives. 
That's why we urge people to get into the Bible and do it every day and try to learn the principles of the Word of God because it'll lead us in the right way. Now, you know, many people in our church, most families in our church, maybe all the families in our church have been exposed to the reasons why, you know, we, we're concerned about the government schools, why we want to teach our children ourselves or teach our, in a Christian school. But, but if you'll go back to when uh, 1981, I became the pastor here in 1981 and in June. Early in 1982, I was a mature, experienced pastor. <laughs> no, I was not. Early in 1982, I was reading my Bible one morning, and I read this passage in, in Proverbs 19 and verse 27. And it says this, very simple. Cease, my son, to hear instruction that causes you to err from the words of knowledge. Cease, my son, from hearing words that causes you to err from the word. Don't, don't listen to teachers who are going to teach you things that could lead you away from the truth. Isn't that simple? And when I read that verse... I knew in my heart that I could no longer send Tracy to a public school. How could I send her to a place where she's going to hear instruction that causes you to err from the words of knowledge? Now, that's not a, that's not a very radical statement today, but in, that, in those days, there wasn't a single person in our church who had ever been to a Christian school, sent their children to a Christian school, or been in, a, been in a homeschool situation. Not one, nada. So why did we do that? We did it because we were seeking to take the Word of God and apply it to our lives. That's, 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 it's not really complicated, but it's, but it's important. The process is, is, is important. You know, another, I'll give you another example in the history of our church. Most of you all know this, but uh, this church was... Uh, when I became pastor, it was a Southern Baptist church, which means they were a part of the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a Baptist church by doctrine, and even in Southern Baptist churches, all churches are considered uh, autonomous, self-governing. And uh, but as as a pastor of a, of this church, you know, I began to be troubled about things that I would see in the Southern Baptist Convention because because I'm reading my Bible. And, you know, reading my Bible, I see that God warns us about who we partner with, who we associate with, who we fellowship with. It doesn't mean that people that are maybe in a different kind of church is not saved. It's not about that. It's not even about that at all. It's just the Bible teaches matters of separation. And so, so I would be reading, and so I'm reading the Bible, and I'm reading what's going on. And I, and I, now this is 35 years ago. And, I, and I'm thinking about the fact that as a church, we send a certain portion of our offerings to the cooperative program, which is like it's taking that and putting it in a big bucket of money. And it's a big bucket. <laughs> but uh, and where does that money go? It comes from, uh, comes from you and me. We give our tithes. It goes into the, this bucket. And where's, then it goes to pay the salaries of, 
of uh, college professors and people who work in colleges. And, and then, I'm, then I'm reading about professors in college who don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. And I read about people in colleges who, who doubt the, the clear record of the Bible, the miracles of the Bible. And, and I read about people who are, who are championing um, Calvinism, who believe that God preordains that every certain people will be saved and certain people will be lost. And I'm reading these things, and I'm thinking, we're sending our money to support this. And so I began, I built up a file about that thick. I still have it, of, of various things that were going on, current events. And finally, I just challenged the church with, you know, are, are we, do we want to support this? Because we were supporting it. If you're a member of the convention, you give your money, you are supporting it. Women were being ordained into the gospel ministry. They still are. And so we, we decided that we would uh, pull out of it, you know, pull out of the convention. And because the question, why, why would we have concern about it? Because when you read the Bible, Paul wrote to the Romans and he said in his last... A chapter of the book of Romans he said mark those people that are teaching contrary to the doctrine contrary to the doctrine you've heard and avoid them Paul said you need to be careful about cooperating with and you know in, in conjunction with these people who teach false doctrine by the way they're independent Baptist churches who are also Calvinists lots of them but we don't cooperate with them that's why we're an independent Baptist we cooperate with those that are like faith. I'm just, you say, why, do you, why are you even saying this? Because when we follow, and this is just two examples, when we follow the Word of God, it's going to impact the way we live. Not a person in this room could say, every area of my life, for all of my life, has been in exact agreement with the Word of God. The Word of God is changing us all the time. And that's why when in John chapter of. 17, when Jesus said, I've given them thy word, the world hates them. I want you to, I pray that you would sanctify them through thy word, thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is the final authority. It's not our opinion. It's not what we think. It's not what's socially acceptable. It's not what's fashionable. This is the book that we're to live by. So, so the Bible will impact our life. We're to live by the Word of God. And, uh, and that's, that's really a revolutionary idea. I was reading a missionary letter yesterday, uh, the testimony of a young man in Eswatini, which is, uh, used to be called Swaziland. And, and Paul Morrison was writing about this, a friend of our church. And, but he wrote this about this man in Eswatini. He said he was broken, this is a new convert, an African man there that's gotten converted. He was broken over the reality that people are blindly following religion and culture without knowing the Word of God. And that's, that is something to be concerned about. But when I read it, I thought, the same kind of thing is happening in our world. That people live more by the culture sometimes than they do by the Word of God, by tradition or whatever. We see the same thing. Letting culture define the way we live. Letting culture define what entertainment we use. Letting culture define the fashions, the music we listen to. 
And, and this affects so much of life. We're talking about holiness. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing my message about a few very, not a lot, but a few very uncomfortable moments that I've had sitting in conferences, listening to someone preach when they use language that is crude and I consider borderline vulgar. And you know why they do that? Because it's so much a part of the culture that it's just acceptable. I think God deserves more than that. There ought to be a reverence for the things of God. You know, when God was dealing with Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and it, Moses had been 40 years in, the, in this experience, you know, watching sheep, waiting for the, the next moment that God's going to deal with him, and God shows up, and there's a bush there that's burning, and it, it kept on burning, it wouldn't go out, and, and the Lord spoke to him, and you'll probably remember what the Lord said to Moses when Moses was asking, dialoguing. He said, remove thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place wherein thou standest is holy ground. It's holy. This is, Moses, you're out here in the desert, and there's a, it's a barren place, it's sand, and it's, but you're on holy ground. You know why it was holy ground? It wasn't holy ground because of the sand he was standing on. It was holy ground because God was there. We live in a culture where God is treated as with, with very little regard, with very little respect. And I want to look at a couple of Old Testament passages because this really is the main thing I want to emphasize tonight. Go with me, if you would, to Ezekiel. Now, we're going to come back to John. But go with me to the book of Ezekiel because there are several verses in Ezekiel that say the same thing, in essence. Ezekiel chapter 22. And it has to do with distinguishing between what's holy and what's profane. The only time we generally use the word profane in our, in our language is when you're talking about profanity. But the word profane is a Bible word, and it's the, it's the direct opposite of holy. Something that's holy is not profane. Something that's profane is not holy. And something that's profane means that it's, it's common. It's treated with disrespect. Now look in Ezekiel, if you would please, in chapter 22, and this is that famous chapter that ends up in verse 30 where uh, Ezekiel saying, I saw it for a man among them. But look in verse 8. Ezekiel 22, verse 8. This is what the Lord says. God is speaking to His people, and this is what He says. Thou hast despised mine holy things and hast profaned my Sabbath. Now I use this as an example because this is, the, this, this is really in essence what the problem was and what the problem is in our life sometimes. He says you have despised, you've taken things that are holy and you've profaned it. You've taken my holy things and you've profaned my Sabbaths. You despise, my, you look down upon things that are holy. By the way, there are things in the New Testament that God says are holy. And our job is to find out what God says are holy and keep them holy. And 
So these are things that were holy. God says they were holy, and yet the people were despising them. And one of those things was the Sabbath. He says, you've profaned my Sabbaths. They treated the Sabbath day just like it was any other day. Now, just to kind of give you an illustration of this, I'm, uh, I'm not going to turn to this, but I'll tell you a little story. It's from the book of Numbers. Uh, God was giving his people these, um, res- these laws, these commandments, these precepts to live by, and, and, they, and one of them was keeping the Sabbath day. And they saw a fella gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. Now, they could have done several things. They could have said, shame on you. They could have said, it's just sticks. They could have said, it's, it's, it's like any other day. But they didn't know what to do. They knew the Sabbath was holy. They didn't know what to do. So they went to Moses, and Moses went to God and said, they put him in hold. That means they locked him up. Let's go around locking up everybody that cuts their grass on, the ho- on Sunday. No, they, so they lock him up. They, they put him in hold, and they ask God, and this is what God said. How many of you remember what God said? A couple. God said, I want you to stone him. I want everybody to get a rock. God said, we're going to kill him. Now, this, this illustration is not about gathering sticks, and it's not even about the Sabbath. Here's what the purpose of the illustration is. It's about how when God says something is holy, God means it's holy. Now, that would not be politically correct to do what he did. But Mo, they followed out the instructions. Why? Because, because God, God said this day is not like any other day. It's a holy day. Look in Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 26. Here's an indictment against the priests. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They took my holy things and they made them common. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profaned among them. God, who is holy, is profaned. That means they treat God as being common. They treated God with disrespect. I'm going to talk about that a little more later, but we see this priority of discerning between the holy and the profane. Now, I'm not going to do this tonight, but if I were to ask you, to make a list of things that you think ought to be holy and kept holy and respect the holiness of it, you know, what would you write down? You say, well, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. We're going to talk about a couple of things. But the point I want to make tonight is this whole matter of holiness. Wednesday night I talked about how it's something that's inward. It's something that comes to us because of our relationship with Christ. But it also, we have guidance from the Word of God. The Bible teaches us things that ought to be treated with respect. Go to another place in Ezekiel. Go to Ezekiel chapter 44. And it stands to reason that these three references clearly let us know that God was very, very unhappy about this tendency among the Jewish people. Ezekiel chapter 44 
and verse 23, he says this of the priests. This was a part of their job description of the priests. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. So this was a part of their job was to teach them, you know, to do, to do what's right. And, and, and there's a lot that's sort of embedded in that. But one thing is none of us really know on our own how to live a holy life. None of us do. We have, we have the Holy Spirit living within us who wants to live holy through us. We also have the Bible, though. And the Bible teaches us the difference between what's holy and profane. Now, I'm speaking very generally tonight. I'm not just talking about our church. I'm just talking about what I see in our culture. But there is an obvious trend toward making almost everything profane. Like there's nothing really sacred. There's nothing really pure. There's nothing really that's holy. And really, and I, Pastor Wise alluded to this this morning, it's, it gives the idea that God doesn't really care. Like God, like God doesn't really care about whether things are holy or whether things are not holy. Now let me just give you a few examples of things. And these are just samples, so you'll think about it. Um, the first thing I want to say is, God's name is holy. I mean, one of the Ten Commandments is, you know, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. God's name is holy. Um, you've probably heard this. I've read about it numerous times. They say that when scribes used to copy the manuscripts, copy the words of Scripture, that when they came to God's name, Jehovah, they would use a new pen to write His name and they would discard that pen and never use it again. You know why? Because they had such reverence for God's name. And then you fast forward to where we live and the way... And by the way, Jesus, when Jesus taught us how to pray, he's, and the first thing He taught us how to pray... Say this, our Father which art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. Your name is holy. Your name is sacred. Your name is to be respected. And then you find, I see Christians, and if you've done this, I'm not talking about you, I'm just talking about in general, that use OMG, you know, as a kind of response. And what they're doing is using God's name in vain. That's, that's, that's profaning what is holy. I mean talking about God like He's the man upstairs. God's not the man upstairs. He's the Almighty. He's holy. His name is holy. Young person, God's name is holy. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 1. And I'm just going to briefly mention a couple of things here. Romans chapter 1. Sometimes we read the Bible, we all do this, I'm sure, and kind of gloss over, glance over, and don't really let it soak in. But look in verse 2 of Romans chapter 1. Paul's talking about himself being a servant of Christ and called into the ministry. 
And then he said in this, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the, what kind of scriptures? Holy scriptures. Go with me if you would to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is talking to Timothy about his upbringing and about the influence the word of God had upon Timothy in his childhood. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the, what kind of scriptures? Holy scriptures. You know what God's word is? It's a holy book. It's holy. It's it's sacred. It's set apart. By the way, the more that we read this book with with the respect that's due to it, the more it's going to impact our life. Because this is not just a men's opinion. This is, if we believe the Bible to be true, this book is inspired of God. God breathed. God gave these words, and it's really the Word of God. And the more, the more you treat the Word of God with respect, and I'm not talking about not setting a cup of coffee on it or not putting it on the top of your car. I'm talking about respecting the words that are in the book. The more we do that, the more it's going to change our life. The more it's going to impact us. You know, if people who are so apt and prone and eager to take this book and change it understood that these are holy words, they wouldn't be as apt to be for their own convenience and readability, ease of understanding. They wouldn't be this is not this is not a book that you would tamper with if you understand what a holy book this is. God's Word, I didn't say it's holy. God said it's holy. It's holy scriptures. It's not just scriptures, it's holy scriptures. Another thing that God says is holy is His house. Now the Old Testament, let's go look in Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, In the Old Testament, the tabernacle and the temple were considered the, the house of God, the sanctuary. In Leviticus chapter 26, we have a verse in verse 2 that says, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. The word sanctuary means it's a holy place, a sacred place. I am the Lord. It was called the house of God. Well, we're not Jews and we're not, we're not, the temple doesn't even exist, but God still has a house. And his house is his church. And just in case there may be someone here who's never looked at this, go with me to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 2. And he's talking about this, the church that he's building. And, then, and the church, the church is, he uses several metaphors as we know to talk about the church. The church is a spiritual building. The church is a spiritual body and the church will be a spiritual bride. So he's using this metaphor of a spiritual building in Ephesians 2 and verse 20 and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's a building being built on a foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly Framed together, groweth unto an, what kind of temple? Holy temple. 
in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom ye are also builded together. You, talking to the Ephesian church, the Ephesian brethren, you are built together for a habitation of God, a place where God lives, a place where God dwells. It's the house of God. You're in Ephesians. To go to the right, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I think a person could go to seed on anything. I think a person could get go be an extremist on anything. But if a person never thinks about the importance of holiness, how God has determined things that are to be holy, His Word is holy. His name is holy. The church is holy. The church is to be holy. And... I think people probably come to church sometimes, and, and the church is not this building. You can't make this building holy, but the, the people, the, the assembly is what makes the church, and the church ought to be a holy, a holy assembly. By the way, what did, you, what did Jesus say to his disciples in Matthew's gospel when he said, when he assembles, when the church assembles, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there will what? There will I be. He's here tonight. You say, how do you know he's here? Because he said he'd be here. Now, that gives to me a, a certain sense of, of awe and seriousness about the church assembly. And I don't think I have to convince you of this, a lot of people treat the church meeting like it's any other gathering. And I don't think it ought to be hard to come to church. It would be difficult to come to church. But I think the things we do in church should be, should be done in a respectful way. I think the music should not be worldly. Why would we want to, why would we want to take and have worldly music to help for the sake of entertaining people, when it, we're not here to entertain people. We're here to honor God. We're here to glorify God. We're here to worship God. It's not about trying to give people what they want. It's about giving what would be pleasing to God. People are profaning these things. You know, I, people... Um, it's becoming really... Um, almost archaic in some places for people even to dress up to come to church. And I don't think a person's more spiritual because they dress up to go to church. By the way, though, let me just say this. I don't know that I've ever found a person, ever known of a person, who dresses up to go to church so that people will notice them or so that so they, people will think they're more godly. I don't think people do that. The tendency, the trend is, you know, to just make it ever more, always more casual, always more casual. You know, that's just the trend. And, and my question is why? Why? I don't, think, I don't think the way a person dresses is going to determine whether God speaks to them or whether they're going to worship God, but I do think this. I think... I, if, you were to, if I were to get a letter today from the White House and 
our president wrote me a letter and said, I want you to come see me. Whatever the address is, Pennsylvania Avenue, I want you to come see me. And I would think that is definitely spam. (laughs) (laughs) And I may not have a lot of respect for the persons in that office, but I have a great deal of respect for that office. And I would dress as nice as I could dress to go out of respect for that. And am I a hypocrite because I do that? I don't think so. I'm just saying we ought to treat holy things as because they're holy. This is not even about dress. It's just, it's just about the fact that God wants us to discern between what's holy and profane. And... Um, A lot of things have happened. A lot of things are happening among churches and even among people of our stripe, independent, unaffiliated Baptists. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of error among us in many ways. And I think when you try to make yourself look better than other people, which I think there is some of that, I think it's wrong to do that. We shouldn't do that. But I think the dangerous trend is treating everything, and I could, my, I'm going to stop where I am, but because I could talk about other things, is to treat everything as being profane, like it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter what kind of music you use. It doesn't really matter what kind of Bible you use. It doesn't really matter. I'm just telling you tonight, I think some things matter to God. And if it matters to God, it ought to matter to us. Jesus prayed for us. Jesus prayed right on the verge of going to Gethsemane and Calvary. Jesus prayed for me that I would be in the world, but I would not be of the world. And that through truth, I would be sanctified. That I would live a holy life. And he prayed that same thing for you. Agree? Amen. May he have his way in our hearts. And if there's something that you don't really understand or know about or can't figure out what God thinks about it, get in this book. Get in this book. Say, Lord, you show me. Help me see. Help me see what you want me to do, what you want me to know.